0: Hello, and welcome to Noise Filter. My name is Mark Allendary. Today, we have a great guest that we're going to be interviewing, and that's Kirby Gong, who is a medical artificial intelligence researcher at Johns Hopkins. Before he worked at Epic, the electronic health record software company, his top loves are the video game Smash Brothers, his dog, and podcasts about history. A few years ago, when Kirby couldn't find a narrative podcast about the history of medical topics, he did what most of us would do. He just decided to create one. And here we are. You talk about syphilis on your podcast, and can you walk us through a bit? about the episode with syphilis. I think that was maybe been episode five and the stigma that kind of went along with syphilis. And really syphilis impacted a lot of people, especially a lot of key figures of history that we could see some of the end stages of syphilis that we refer to as neurosyphilis and people who we refer to as having had gone mad. People are now realizing or recognizing that that so-called psychosis or what used to be referred to as madness was largely due to end stage syphilis. So, if you could talk to us a bit about that, I would love to hear your thoughts about that.
2: The main thing I remember from that was that syphilis did carry a very heavy stigma. And this is one of I, I think I use this as an example of illustrating that kind of life cycle of stigma, where it first appeared, I believe, in kind of the early thousands. And then there is an incredibly heavy stigma associated with it for a while, especially once it was figured out that it was sexually transmitted, which I think is kind of tied into religious beliefs of the time and all that as well and culture. But it became incredibly stigmatized for a while to the point where I remember illustrating that basically every European country, they called it a different name. And each region would call syphilis basically the name of their enemy. I think it was the French were calling it the Neapolitan disease. The Italians and the British were calling it the French disease. And basically, you picked your enemy, and then you called that syphilis. And it was almost weaponized as propaganda, which I think is is fascinating and messed up all at the same time. But then over time, as the understanding of syphilis improved, they started to find at least you know moderate, okay treatments. They didn't have antibiotics yet, but they had some form of treatments for syphilis, stigma with it kind of decreased. And, and, you know, it still exists, of course, even to this day, but I think it lessened with time. You saw it being studied, you saw it being treated as actually something worth defeating and studying and treating instead of just, you know, hey, Let's just call our enemies and associate them with it. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah,
0: it's a fascinating disease and the stigma associated with it. Fortunately, we don't quite see that stigma as much as, as we used to now, but what we do see it is still a major public health issue. Thankfully, we do have antibiotics used to treat it. And of course, just a little bit of history on my part, because this is where my professional research lies probably the best known story, of course, is Tuskegee and Mm -hmm. how you had a group of public health physicians that were the then modern day version of infectious disease doctors. One of these areas that they went to was, of course, Tuskegee, Alabama, Macon County, Alabama. They were doing a study. It was supposed to be a six-month study looking at why this area had the highest rates of syphilis. The fact that they did a study was fine. It was all above board. What they did where things crossed the line is they, they extended the study beyond six months without any sort of recognition of what they were doing. And it became clear that they were purposely withholding information from these individuals, about 200, controlled 300, who were infected with syphilis. But the area where they really crossed the line was in the late 40s when penicillin was actually discovered. Yes. And once it was discovered, it was an injection and it cured syphilis and were things really highly unethical. And I have used some very, very horrific words. Uh, they were monsters. They were the most unethical individuals in, in the history of the US, some of the most unethical individuals by withholding these treatments and watching these individuals die. And as somebody who lives in the deep South of New Orleans, about an eight hour drive from Tuskegee, the idea of Tuskegee Cast a very, very, very long shadow all across the South in black and brown communities. And we saw that play out with the COVID vaccine. There was a hesitant to sign up for the clinical trials for the COVID vaccines. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, we've seen a significant hesitancy uh, with respect to actually getting vaccinated. Do you ever run into Ignace Semmelweis? or John Snow. I wasn't sure if any of your research. And he was an anesthesiologist in London, and his claim to fame was he did the first anesthesia on a laboring woman, who in those days, that was considered hearsay, and he did it to the queen. But he actually gave her the first epidural,
2: and he could have gone into the history of medicine Just based on that. He actually is. He's actually in season two, which is the surgery and anesthesia episode for that very chief. I forgot that was the same Jon Snow, actually.
0: (laughs) Right before the pandemic, my wife and I went to the very spot to pay homage to a uh, Dr. Snow, because he gave rise to two professions, my wife's profession, which is city planning, which <laughs> is what you talk about in the beginning of the season, because you talk about how once people became aware of public health, city planners can design cities to help manage public health. And of course, he gave rise to the study of epidemiology. Yeah,
2: John Snow is definitely, he does not get a direct mention in season three,
0: and of course, the story is that he understood that cholera was transmitted through water, yes. and he so-called removed a pump handle. Whether he actually did or didn't, unclear. Yes, debate, but it's debated. Yeah. But he he's the one that is credited with. And I'd like to think he went up, him just sneaking up in the middle of the night, <laughs> for removing, removing that
2: pump handle, <laughs> and then watching <laughs> for for weeks on end to make sure nobody got water out, and being like watching the cholera the cholera rates go down, right.
0: Right, right. Uh, and then, of course, Ignis Simelweis, and he was the father of hand washing. And in those days, it's hard to actually wrap your head around, but doctors before they delivered babies or when they did. Cervical exams would not wash their hands. And it was Dr. Semmelweis who recognized that there was an unacceptable amount of illness amongst birthing women when compared to the opposite side of the hospital that was run by midwives who did not have that same level of mortality, of sepsis, what we refer to as sepsis today. And that was largely because the physicians were always in the anatomy cadaver room. Their hands are in a a cadaver in one moment, and then the next moment's over in the birthing canal of laboring women. Of course, for him speaking the truth, unfortunately, that cost him his life. He was sent to a mental institution. And then died two weeks later after being beaten. It's reported by some of the guards there. So, those are some of my heroes in public health. And I did want to mention them here in this podcast because I think those are important stories to know.
2: Yeah. I mean, Civil the is, I read about him and then I think I ended up not including him. Also, actually, during my surgery anesthesia episode, I think is when he came up because I, I was considering doing an episode about hand washing. <laughs> Right. Related to the concept of kind of asepsis and, and antisepsis and the the rise of those, I just want to
0: revel in a moment that we had to actually learn to wash our hands.
2: Right? <laughs> it is, like, yeah. I just,
0: I, <laughs> I just want to revel in that moment of wow, we had to learn to wash our hands, you know. Yeah. And I'm glad we did, you know. I <laughs> because of course hand washing is incredibly important. This is the end of this portion of our interview with Kirby Gong. Be sure to tune in tomorrow to catch the next part. And you can listen to the previous segments wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Thanks for listening to Noise Filter, your public health podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the Noise Filter podcast. Follow us on social media and leave us a review letting us know your favorite part of the show. You can find me, Hope Pickerson, at hopepickerson.com And you can find me at
0: Dr. Mark Allen Derry or at The Dr. Derry, that's D-R-D-E-R-Y.
1: To see and share our amazing animations and find out more information about us, the show, as well as links to our social media, go to noisefortheshow.com.